my name is Elliot Maya, and I'm here with Simon Chartrand for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library Community Oral History Project. This is a community oral history project centered around the experiences of trans identifying people. Today is July 27, 2017, and we are in Simon's home. Simon, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. Um... I'm Simon, I'm 25, and my pronouns are they, them. Awesome. So, where were you born? Um, I was born in Kingston, New York, which is just like a two-hour bus ride north of here. Which borough is that in? Wait, is it's that upstate. Is it upstate? It's upstate. Yeah. Can you tell me what it was like growing up there? Uh, middle of nowhere. Middle of um, nowhere? Like, is it like rural? I mean, I live, like, I, I was born in Kingston Hospital, but I uh, grew up in Boyceville, which is a town that nobody's ever heard of, so I just tell people that I'm from Woodstock, because it's close by. Um, <laughs> um, but it was, uh, it was very insular. Yeah. Um, and Boyceville is interesting, I guess, because it was, I guess there's a blend of, um, you have a blend of like uh, rednecks and hippies, basically. <laughs> can you can you tell me more about that? Um, it's you really get a little bit of everyone. <laughs> so when you say rednecks and hippies, can you give me like a portrait? Like describe me. Like what do you mean? Like people who are in a people who grew up in a rural area or in a rural area and like some of my family's like rednecks so okay. I'm like okay like okay. I can say this okay. Okay. um but uh and then there are the people who are attached to to Woodstock and mm. it's historical significance yeah. and uh it's I guess I mean you have like more liberal and more conservative uh both there so would you say there are is there like a split between like really liberal people and then really conservative people or how is that dynamic i yeah it's kind of like a couple it's kind of like the extremes are um and what was it like uh growing up in the middle of those extremes as you say um it wasn't fun Um, I guess for me, like, I had to be good because, like, my dad was a high school teacher. Mm. Um, he was also in charge of detention, <laughs> so I couldn't get in trouble. <laughs> he's, like, he, he's fair. I mean, he's tough, but he's fair. Um, and uh, it was mostly just uh, me not knowing anything. I feel like growing up was just a lot of confusion. Um, and what do you mean by that? Um, I feel like there were a lot of moments... Um, and, uh, like, one of them, I guess, being, um, I was, I was in third grade, um, and I was in the, I was at the YMCA, and I was in the women's locker room, Mm -hmm. um, and I felt uncomfortable, but I didn't know why, Mm. and I didn't have the words for it, and... I tried telling my, I tried telling my mom that I was uncomfortable, um, and she just kind of like laughed at me and she told me that like, oh, but you were so comfortable lifting your shirt up in front of that boy, and uh, and I didn't really know what to say after that. It was just that's what I mean by confusion, and I didn't know why I like felt the way that I did. I just 
I just didn't. I kind of like let the moment pass, and I um, I just pretended. I tried to pretend that it didn't happen. So when you were in the third grade, you had a conversation with your mother, right? About that. When I was in kindergarten, there was like a. <laughs> I just remember this. There was like a. Um, there was a there was a boy, and we would. Um, We'd sneak out uh, during like recess. We'd like sneak out of like the classroom and go in the hallway and like where nobody was like looking, and we'd like switch our toys. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Hi. I'm his roommate. Sorry. Hi. Is anyone in the um, bathroom? Um. And. Um, I feel like it wasn't really a problem until I moved. So I moved, like, it's the same school district, just different elementary schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, so I feel like once I was the new kid at another elementary school, it gave me another reason to be more of a, more of a target. Hmm. Um, yeah. I feel like I knew, I feel like I knew for sure that something was really off when I was at, like, um, sleepovers. Because as gendered as they are, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, they were just and in general, I never felt comfortable at sleepovers because it just felt like they were going through certain rituals that I didn't understand. I always felt outside of it, like I was the as a spectator, but I was never mm. quite involved. Um, and I've had some traumatic things um, happen as well, um, and I to the point where uh, one of these things that happened. Um, I I remember very distinctly just like uh, I was nine years old and I was crying and I thought that I didn't belong in this world and that I didn't deserve to live um, because whoever I was was not fitting in and therefore it was bad and I had to go but I couldn't like get rid of that part so I would have to get rid of the whole in order to get rid of the part. Um, Yeah, (laughs) that's, uh, it's intense, Um, but I feel like that's growing up trans. (laughs) A little bit, yeah, the intense experience. Um, You mentioned this idea of going to sleepovers or other gendered events, I I assume, and and observing gendered rituals and feeling outside of them. Do you remember any specific rituals that made you, or moments that made you feel really kind of aware of uh, a budding otherness, I suppose? Let's see. Um, Other than that moment, I feel like any time I ever had to wear a dress (laughs) um, for any event, whether it's like going to someone's wedding or something or graduation, because I... And I distinctly, and I never like quite went away where I, whenever I put on a dress, I would have to um, flex my muscles to make sure I was still there. Or I'd have to go <laughs> do something like, <laughs> do something that, like go do push-ups or something or like run around or just something to remind myself that I still existed. Because it, I don't know how to explain that feeling. It's not like an invisibility cloak. It's like a negation cloak. Mm. No, that's really, really actually amazing. Um, this idea, you, you said negation, you're using really interesting words and I'm loving it. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like there was like a physical, like, 
the act of putting on a dress required a physical response, like you said, to negate the dress being put on you. Yeah, it was negating yeah. me, and so I had to negate it back. Interesting. <laughs> wow. And were there ever moments where, like, your family noticed kind of your negation like, politics? <laughs> they knew I didn't fit in, and um, I'm going to, like, fast forward a little mm-hmm. bit because um, I never came out to my family. I was outed. Oh. Yeah. So, um, it was like, um, I had made a separate Facebook Mm -hmm. and I, um, and when I did that, um, I thought like if I just blocked all my family members that it would be fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but somebody, somebody found me, somebody who went to high school with my little brother. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that person told my little brother and then my little brother told my parents, and he was, like, 14, 15 at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's not something I blame him for. I feel like he was just young, and, you know, like, mm-hmm. he didn't really know what to do. Um, but when my parents found out, um, and this is why I'm, this is where I'm, like, trying to tie back to the question. Um, my mom told me that she knew that I was different growing up. Um, but she didn't think it's because I was trans um, because she just thinks that it's a belief. Um, Yeah. Like a choice? Like a... Like a choice. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, So she's like, no, you're not trans. And at first she tried to say it was because of trauma, but then she said that growing up, she thought that, um, and this is like, hard to say um but she thought that I had she said that I was at a birthday party one day and she didn't even tell me like what I was doing but she told me that there was an off-duty nurse Mm -hmm. who told her that I could have Asperger's Mm -hmm. and she believed it from then on she never took me to any professional and when I asked her why she said it's because she didn't want to label me Hmm. so she just she knew I was different but she didn't know why and that was her explanation for it um she also didn't tell me until I was outed and then she argued you know I'm not trans I have Asperger's um and so like the whole I mean when I when I had to be out it was kind of like finding my my history growing up too there I feel like the I mean things that happened like 10 years ago um like when I was in high school um I guess there there was somebody there was somebody else from my high school who told me that yeah like my uh that my older sister had mentioned um to him that that I had Asperger's and he didn't know why she said that because it didn't make sense Mm -hmm. And I had to keep, like, asking people because I'm, like, I was so confused. I was, like, what does this mean? And what does it mean? What does it mean to have Asperger's? What does it mean to be trans? Um, and I went to a therapist as well, and they've told me that I don't have Asperger's, um, that my mom was just wrong. Um, so... That was, I, but I, that was just her way of negotiating difference in her head. 
without having to accept the existence of trans people. And is that still kind of a stance your mother takes today? I'm not exactly sure where she's at, um, but I do know that she just uh, thinks that it's a belief. Um, when I had, I saw her like a week ago and she asked me to go off hormones, so uh, it would probably still be her view. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um, I'm open to talking about it because I feel like, for me, that's airing it out instead of bottling it up. Yeah. Um, can I ask, when were you routed? Yeah, um, so, of all the times for it to happen, um, I feel like when it rains, it pours. So, this was the summer before I entered grad school. So, the summer before I starting a PhD program, um, I was outed as trans. I was already socially out in undergrad, um, but um, I could keep that life separate from my home life. Um, even that was tricky because my little sister went to the same undergrad, but I was able to still, I was able to still um, manage that. And so I'd gone from this like and in undergrad, everybody was really accepting. They were great. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's when I was outed. And during that time, I was getting my um, wisdom teeth removed. Um, and I mentioned that because that's why I have nerve damage in my tongue. Mm. Um, when the surgeon um, operated on my mouth, he severed my left lingual nerve. And um, as a result, I, the nerve is completely gone, so I don't have any feeling on the left side of my tongue. I also suffer from chronic pain because it's nerve damage. Um, so it was kind of like, I, like, because of my tongue, I physically lost my voice, and I had to teach myself how to speak again. And that's what it feels like with being outed as trans, too. Like, I lost my voice, and I, like, was trying to have to find it again um and start a phd program all in that just you know do it all do it quickly it's kind of like i have no choice sort of thing Damn. <laughs> yeah it was a lot that is a lot wow um can you tell me more about um your undergrad experience you mentioned the yeah. fact that you went to undergrad with your younger sister yeah. But you also kept... Separate enough? Separate. Like, like <laughs> what? That... I'm trying to imagine that. I'm like, can you yeah. tell me more about that? That period of everyone? Uh, well, different communities. Mm -hmm. uh, we had different friends. I went to I went to a SUNY school, okay. uh, Oneonta. And every... And I mentioned that because everybody was great. I was actually just shocked at how <laughs> accepting everyone was. Um, I mean, starting with the Women and Gender Studies department and then shifting toward other departments, but also I was a student athlete um, for the track and field team and my coaches were accepting right off the bat. And I was worried because I went in there and my coach was like, you probably thought you were coming in here like about to quit. And, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I kind of did. And he's like, no, like that's not how this is going to play out. And he's like, if anybody has a problem, they have to come to me. Wow. And it was the most like validating experience. And even like, 
there's even like an abandoned like locker room like across the gym and he's like go you can go use that one and so he talked to like the athletic director and it was like it was all um done really smoothly and there were people who worked at like the gender and sexuality resource center as well who really who really helped me out um across campus as well even like my um my graduation which was tricky because I wasn't out at that point mm-hmm. to my family but I was out to everyone on campus mm-hmm. and so I had to kind of like ask them to like use the name that I don't want to use mm-hmm. use the pronouns I don't want to use and um and people were able to do that but also the registrar's office was really cool because they had um they gave me my diploma with the with the wrong name on it mm-hmm. um and then they mailed me one with the right name on it so I was like, yes. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really surprising to me. Um, I feel like a lot of people don't get to experience having like an institutional community be really supportive. I had never experienced that. And yeah. it was, um, I mean, Oneana is just a surprisingly trans-friendly place. It's also where this really well-known trans doctor is. Uh, there's just a really good community. Yeah. What can I? What's the name of the doctor? Oh yeah, uh, Carolyn Wolfgold. Carolyn Wolfgold. Yeah, people drive like two hundred miles just to see her because wow. she's that good. Wow, that's really amazing. Um, um, was that a large school? Like a large? Was it a phys- like a large physical campus? No, or, no. So I mean, it's a SUNY school, but it was like five thousand, seven thousand. Um, was it? There, was there a central campus structure or to it? Or like? Yeah, yeah, it was all on like it's all on like a hill. I'm, so I'm assuming, were you still sharing spaces with your younger sister then at this point, or were you kind of like moving around each other? We could move around each other because uh, we were in different communities, mm-hmm. um, studied completely different things. Okay. I was literature, she was physics. Wow, all right, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's pretty different, <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Um, it's a, it sounds like a really an awesome moment of getting to control your own narrative. Um, yeah. yeah. And there was a point where I did, like, come out to her because I was like, okay, I don't want to, like, have this kind of anxiety anymore. And so she was accept- she was actually accepting of it right away, which was cool. Yeah. So how, was that for the entirety of undergrad, or did you tell her while you were in undergrad together? Uh, while we were in undergrad, like, near the end. Okay. Yeah. It's really amazing. Um... Can you tell me more about the sports community um, and while you were there and, and kind of just your experience in that as like a, like a trans person? Yeah, I was scared. Because I was, so <laughs> uh, I, was um, I mean, I'd like to think I was a decent athlete. When I like, my first year, I like broke some school records and stuff. Oh. And uh, I was like a, I was a jumper um, on the track team, which was a lot of fun. But um, I didn't really, um, I felt like I talked to like a couple people on the team, but I felt like my community, like in that community, it was kind of more, there were sprinters, there were distance runners, and then there were like a couple of jumpers. Like hurdlers? Um, Or like hurdlers were kind of, sometimes they went off on their own, sometimes Mm -hmm. they were with the sprinters. Mm -hmm. Um, But jumpers were kind of like, there were just like a couple of us and we were just off on our own. and there were like I met like quite a few cool people through there. Awesome. Um, yeah, and then I just talked to the coaches a lot because 
they're cool. <laughs> oh, that's really awesome. Um, um, I'm ask you. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, um, navigating like healthcare. Um, and how was that for you? Oh when, yeah. When, when did you start that process? <laughs> because navigating healthcare is <laughs> it's a big issue. Um, being a trans person and being someone who suffers from um, a disability and chronic pain, right? Um, I feel like it gets amplified. Um, and so I've had to deal with the healthcare system a lot of times. Um, I've been to um, there are things like I, I, for my for my nerve damage for example I was hospitalized last year mm. um, for a few weeks because um, the the pain wasn't that intense um, but um, they put me when they when they hospitalized me they put me in the women's ward mm. they um, they couldn't change, my name was legally changed, mm-hmm. and they didn't change it in the system. Hmm. Because it would have required me physically to go downstairs and bring forms with me. Mm-hmm. Except I was also hospitalized and I couldn't physically do that. Mm-hmm. Which also made it a problem just to get my prescriptions. They didn't give me testosterone and when I asked them why they couldn't tell me Hmm. I've also had employees um, ask me invasive questions it was it was a mess Um, I went to one pain management doctor who was at a different place and he asked me he like he's like oh like so when are you growing breasts? Because he assumed that since I was trans, that I was a trans woman. Mm. And he asked me, um, and he asked me this specifically, which was really disturbing, that um, he asked me if I knew any Asian trans women and if I did give them his contact information. And this was him as a doctor. And this was while he was injecting me with Botox for my pain. And so it all kind of happened really quickly. And I never went back to him because um, how can you? And so I feel like because of being trans, because of having chronic pain, I have to jump from doctor to doctor to doctor because they just, they can't get over the trans thing. Like, and it... It doesn't make any sense to me because it feels like, would you ask like an endocrinologist to do open heart surgery? No. So if you're like a pain management specialist, why would you like try to ask questions about trans people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, um, that's a big yikes. <laughs> yep. Um, I feel yeah. like I've experienced it all with doctors. Yeah. Are, is it, are you still like jumping doctors? Do you find you still have to do things like that? Or do you have you found... I found a good one now. Okay. 
um, who I go to. Um, but then there are some things like, um, like I had laryngitis um, uh, was it a month ago now, um, and I went to uh, I went to a doctor and he like looked at my chart and he's just like, "Are you female to male?" And I was just like, "What does this have to do with my sore throat?" <laughs> Did he have a response Like, for you? I can't even talk right now. Yeah. Like, what do you want me to say? And it's, like, one of those things that would be in the chart, so do you really have to ask? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just... And so I feel like... So I feel like whenever I'm, like, relieved, like, oh, like, finally I have my health issue, like, stuff under control, and I don't have to, like, deal with, like, doctors again and their ignorance, um, I do. <laughs> It always comes back up, and it's not just a matter of knowing. It's not just, like, and that's another thing with like trans people in healthcare. It's not just a matter of um, of accessing our hormones. It's a matter of just going to the doctor in general. Um, when we have health issues, we don't just have health issues. We have health issues and trans issues that the doctors are trying to figure out. And so it's like when we're when we're in trouble, it's not just physically, but it's emotionally. Both fronts. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm just like thinking no, about... No, you're fine. No, the emotional... Exhaustion, I suppose, yeah. as, uh, that goes along with like, the physical and like the financial and, and like resource exhaustion. Of, yes, it, you don't get to just go to one place. You know what I mean? Or uh, you have to you bounce around, and then but each time you're having to reintroduce yourself in a way that no one else is being asked to. You yes, know? Um, and, and yeah, and it's like I don't really have a choice because with my chronic pain, it's, I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, it's a constant 4 to 5. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's um, throughout my throughout the left half of my tongue. So, yes, I did teach myself how to speak again um, with just half my tongue. But also, you know, I can't teach myself to unfeel pain. Right. And so that's what keeps me, keeps me going to try to find something that will relieve it. But at the expense of a lot of other types of pain. Right. Do you find that the attention is, is like malevolent or is it like just crude curiosity? I think it's, it depends. Like I think for most doctors it's crude curiosity. The one doctor I mentioned who was basically sexually harassing me, mm-hmm. that's malevolent. Yeah. I think that goes beyond ignorant. Yeah. Has that been a common situation where, where doctors have been, like, sexually invasive or hara- like, harassed you or people you know of? Usually it's just, like, questions about my past yeah. and stuff. Have you had any positive moments involved with healthcare at all? <laughs> no, I'm just curious. Cause... Sorry. No, I'm, no, like, no. laughing. I'm, like, all cynical. No, no, it's, it's perfectly fine. I'm just curious because I don't really, and, like, I haven't gone through anything that most people would consider like a medical transition. They already have like a hard mm-hmm. time like going to doctors. <laughs> well, my first doctor, uh, Carolyn, who I mentioned before, mm-hmm. Wolf Gould, um, she was the first doctor I went to when I started coming out. And even though like, and she has a lot of patients, she's always overbooked. But it's like, even though she's like that, 
you could email her. And when um, when I went in for my like, first appointment, she like gave me all these information pamphlets, but then she also gave me like poems and stuff. Wow. And so, and she, you know, asked me about my family and like not just their health history and how they're treating me. And so she was very like, she's acting as like doctor, as therapist. She was doing a whole lot of things. And you really felt like you were the only person there. Wow. And and that's what I feel like the ideal healthcare for trans people is, like exactly what she's doing. Um, and I haven't seen her in like over a year, but I'm like, I miss her. Yeah, wow, no, that's, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm happy you had that. Yeah. Um, that's how I know like what's right for me. Yeah. Um, I wanted to back up a little bit. Um, oh, actually, let, I wanted to talk about um, if you're comfortable talking yeah. about um, your experience with, I know everyone asked about like transition, but I was wondering, um, specifically in regards to, to your healthcare experience, like what was that like for you in regards to transitioning or in any way that you would define that, I guess, like getting hormones? Uh, so, I mean, hormones were, hormones are pretty easy to get. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the issues are about timing and safety for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started hormones before I was out before I was outed <laughs> yeah. to my family uh, and while I still had a job um, and I thought to myself well my voice won't deepen for another few months <laughs> so I have that going for me <laughs> um, I kind of just wanted to get the ball rolling because I knew that it wasn't going to happen overnight um, and a lot of that is about with hormones is about patience I wish like I wish it could just happen quickly but then I also don't wish that because change it would be too much. Change mm -hmm. is gradual and it should be that way. Um, with hormones, I felt like I had to, I mean, it's going through puberty again. Um, and all of the things that that entails, which is a lot of confusion because you feel like a, like I felt like a teenage boy. <laughs> um, and then um, I also got um, top surgery and I got that, uh, a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. I'd gotten it in January. Um, and that I wanted to be really careful of. Um, I gave myself enough time um, before classes started up again because I wanted to make sure that it didn't interfere with anything. Mm -hmm. um, so pacing, timing, um, those tend to be big factors um, in what I wanted to do. Um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not interested in anything else at the moment mm. um I kind of I um I mean other than wishing I could grow more facial hair <laughs> I I like where I'm at nice nice um awesome thank you um I was wondering if you talk more about your employment history um you don't talk about specific places if you don't want to um but just what has that been like for you um I mean, a lot of the, I mean, most of the jobs I had were, um, were before I, uh, began transition. Although I did, um, back when I worked, um, there's, uh, one summer I worked, it was during undergrad when I was just figuring out the trans thing. Um, I was working at a nursing home, um, and, um, and what was interesting about that was um, I had long hair. I, for all intents and purposes, I, I looked like a girl. <laughs> um, but there was one um, resident 
and um, she and she happened to, to have Alzheimer's and um, and she and every morning she would always say like excuse me sir <laughs> or mister and it just and it always um, it always made my day <laughs> I mean like when you when you work in a job like that the residents always tend to make your day because they're just such wonderful people but um, that was something that was like wow like she can she actually knows more than everyone else does. Um, and so that was really cool. Um, I've had, and um, my other jobs haven't been as, as cool as that. Um, I wish I had something more exciting to say. <laughs> um, did you find that you experienced um, more difficulties like locating or holding employment uh, after a certain point? Um, well, right now I feel, um, right now I feel lucky because I'm in a, I mean, I'm in a graduate program and part of it is, employment is a part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't have to like look for other jobs. If I did, I wouldn't know how to even go about it because everything else was under another name another, and right. what feels like another person. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't even know how to bring it up. Right, in that, do you, I wouldn't even know how you would get to, like, build a, like, a resume in the same way, right? Right, so it completely difficult. changes the structure of it, and, and it's like, what do you do? Do you, like, do you write, like, a lengthy explanation of, like, right. what happened? Like, right, right. Um, do you have any mentors, um, or um, are you in, like, other other trans people or trans spaces that you are involved in or, or groups or anything like that? In undergrad, I had a, I had a couple mentors, um, uh, Elliot and Bambi, and they were really great. <laughs> and it felt like my, um, my little family for, for coming out. Um, and I've had, um, I've had other professors who are mentors too, who are just really, um, who are open to who I was, and some who even made me feel like I was a part of their family. Yeah. And I'll always be, I'll always be grateful for them. Um, that's what got me through when I first came out, was experiencing everything, was just the amount of overwhelming support I'd gotten from my mentors. Was there any advice, um, some of your mentors gave you that really resonate with you still or really help you out? Anything specific. Or are you just even moments that, that stick out to you that you remember <laughs> that, you know, you had with them, conversations or anything? That... Yeah, yeah, one of my professors. Um, and uh, I'm like laughing because now if I say it, he'll know who he is. <laughs> um, <laughs> I... I, went, I think when I first went to him to talk about it, he was just like, he was just like, you know what, it was, this would be like if you were walking into my office and you were telling me that you were wearing like off-white socks, would they be any different? Like, would you be a different person? Like, no. And that kind of like, I guess that always resonated with me because it's, yeah, like, 
you're looking at something like clothing that's like a construction, mm-hmm. which is also gender is a construction. And just that like, no, like this doesn't change how I see you was really vital to me at that point in my transition. Um, yeah. <laughs> You're fine. Um, what were you like growing up? <laughs> Sorry, I love asking questions like that. That's fine. Um, ah, what was I like? Um, I feel like I was a pain in the ass. <laughs> Sorry. That's a professional term for it. <laughs> um, I was very adventurous. Um, I feel like I would eat like rocks and sand and things that I should not have eaten um um, but everybody loved me anyway for some reason (laughs) um and then uh but then like after moving schools and like recognizing my difference that's when I got like really depressed and withdrawn and I stopped speaking Mm. and and my parents noted that but they never did anything about it yeah um it was kind of and it like ever since then i think it was just depression because i didn't have any answers Mm. to anything it's like i mean all those years kind of felt like and i i i did have a lot of bullying as well um those years felt like you're it, it feels like being a little kid it's the middle of the night, everything's dark, you're scared, there are, there are like monsters under the bed or something, or something imaginary, something you can't see, but you, you have a feeling that it's there, and that it's real, and there's nobody to turn on the light, mm-hmm. there's no like parent, no guardian, nobody is telling you anything, um, so that's what it felt like for years. Like, I mean, it's bad enough to have to go through that for one night, but... <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Nobody can turn the light on for you but yourself, I guess. Yeah. And when you're a kid, you can't do it because you're defenseless. <laughs> so I had to get older to do that and with some help. And at what point did you feel like you had solidly turned that light on? The beginning of, well, I think the overwhelming support I mentioned earlier (laughs) was was definitely a part of that. I felt like I lost that um, moving here, actually, Mm. because I, um, because I, I moved schools. Um, so I lost all of the community that I had built up, um, and I had to start over from scratch. Um, and a lot of it was feeling very, very alone. And I also, in the beginning, I had, I had horrible, I had horrible, um, therapy. <laughs> uh, just therapists who just weren't even there. Mm. Um, 
who not only didn't get what being trans meant, but would just say last minute that they were like sick or something, mm. but do that like a few weeks straight. Um, and so I feel like when you have bad therapy, it's worse than no therapy. Mm. Um, over time though, what's been helping me is I do have a really, um, good th- therapist who I'm working with right now and she's made a lot of difference and it's funny cause like she didn't know anything about trans issues before, but now she's like, <laughs> she, she did a lot of work on her own. She actually went to like conferences to figure stuff out and stuff that, that she did on her own time. And I guess that's kind of like, it, it's, she's put a lot of effort on her part. You mentioned that when you moved here, you kind of had to start over community-wise. And yep. How did you begin the process of rebuilding support networks? In LGBT Center. <laughs> like which one? The, the Transmasculine Voices. Okay. Uh, I go to the open group and the closed group. And the open group meets once a, one, once a month, but the closed group meets once a week. And that's how I found a lot of my friends. Um, and that's who I hang out with mostly because it's just people who have similar experiences and really nice people too. And I feel like that's, and for me, that feels like home. And this is at the Callum Lord Center, right? No, oh, no this no. is the uh, LGBT Center okay. on 13th Street. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, and how did you get connected? Did you just Google the group or Google the center or like, how did you? Um, I went to, I went to something completely different at first. <laughs> I'm like trying to remember the name of it, but I can't. Um, and they suggested it. And so what has that group been like for you? Like you meet once a week and then once a month, right? Yeah, they're like, there's open group and closed group. Okay. Closed group is just like you do an intake, okay. which doesn't cost anything. Wow. And then you go. Nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we do that once, so the open group is once a month, closes once a week, and then afterward we'll go out to eat, and Very then nice. you can have like, just really casual conversation, it just feels like a family dinner, <laughs> weekly family dinner. Awesome. Have there been any other like, New York specific uh, trans or trans friendly spaces that have been really important to you? since you've arrived here? All the trans events. <laughs> what does all the trans events mean? Trans Day of Visibility, okay. Trans Day of Action, Trans Day of Remembrance. How do you get plugged into those? Like, how, are you, how do you find these events? Uh, well, Facebook is a really yeah. good place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, trans on the Sands, trans on the which Sands. is coming up uh, August 12th. Yeah, Coney Island. Any, I mean, going to the queer beach, of course. Of course. Reese, <laughs> anytime. Yeah. Um, and I guess, like, what also helps me is, like, there's a another student in my department who is also trans, um, which makes me feel not alone. When was the first time you went to Reese Beach? The first time? Yeah. Like, the queer. Oh, a year ago. A year ago. Yeah. What was that like for you? Uh, 
I was like, wow, people can be shirtless. This is awesome. <laughs> like, um, it was freeing. Um, I feel like I'm so used to the beach being really, like, heteronormative and everybody just has, like, really, like, like, I just, I don't understand how, like, um, I don't understand how cisgender and heterosexual people work. <laughs> and there's, like, this whole, like, I don't know, like, I think, like, the cis women are supposed to have a certain type of body and the cis men are supposed to have a certain type of body and there's only, like, one type and they have to keep, like striving towards that and I like see that and I'm like and where else is that most exhibited like the beach um where everything is shown and and so it seems like it just seems really um restrained and really stressful it's like I almost feel bad for like people who aren't like queer because they like don't have certain type of freedom that we have <laughs> yeah you're not you're not wrong <laughs> <laughs> um yeah can you tell me more about oh yeah how, how do you you like see or like cisgendered people and like heterosexual people like how I feel like as like trans and like queer people, it's just a fundamentally different experience in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that like I agree that like, a lot of times I will go to the beach or just go to events that are very much coded as like straight and cis and I'm like I fundamentally don't understand what's happening. Like you know, the social dances, I'm like I'm outside of this. Like I feel yep. like I'm watching Animal Planet a little bit. You know. Yep. So <laughs> I was wondering your take on that. How do they work? Yeah. Um <laughs> I, well, right now, I've just, like, I feel like the nice thing about New York City is you can, like, pick your communities, because <laughs> there are so many people, and so I kind of, I mostly restrict myself to queer communities, um, and I'm trying to, because I'm trying, I'm just, like, right now, I'm just, like, trying to survive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and then once I'm like more established, maybe I can start talking to <laughs> open-minded, um, <laughs> it's just, and I think that that's also, I'm just like realizing, like, I don't have any problems with them. It's mm-hmm. just that they have problems with me. Right. Um, it's like, if you're cool with me, like I'm cool with you. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't care like who you are, how you dress, just like. Don't be mean. Like Kate Bornstein said, just don't be mean. All right, so we're back from that brief, brief bathroom break. Um, and I guess I just wanted to clarify one thing, because I feel like if I don't say it, then uh, people don't know. 
Um, it's totally possible to have Asperger's and be trans at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, when I was talking about it before, it was just, um, it was about my mother's way of trying to figure out my, my difference and uh, where, where she failed. But there are quite a lot of people who have Asperger's and are trans and they're completely valid. And that's like another thing that like, people try to use to like gatekeep so to prevent like some trans people from getting access to hormones and from transitioning um, or from just saying that they're trans um, just because they have Asperger's um, so yeah you can you can be both <laughs> that was it <laughs> yeah, thank you for that clarification um, I want to talk to you about your experience in New York with dating and sex and relationships um, and to start that off, how do you meet people? How have you met people in the past while you've been in the city, um, both romantically and just like casual sex partners? First of all, hi everyone I know. Secondly, so it's interesting because growing up, I um, I always had online relationships. Um, I feel like I wasn't, I feel like that's because I wasn't comfortable enough with bodies, whether it's someone else's or my own. Um, so I wasn't able to engage on that level and it was kind of like the internet was perfect for that. Um, and uh, actually one of the, like the first person I fell in love with um, is actually like, had actually come out as trans, which is really cool. <laughs> um, Cause makes me feel like all right like we kind of found each other like trans people can kind of find each other um and we both weren't out yet um but then in let's see and that continued uh that continued in undergrad as well um but then i just stopped dating and then uh because it seemed like the dating scenes where i was was that thing where it's the middle it's it's a small I mean Oneana is also a small town where I went to undergrad so everybody knew each other so with dating it's kind of like nothing is nothing is um kept secret <laughs> so I just didn't date anyone and then I moved here and then I was like wow there are a lot of people <laughs> um and also I was like Wow, I'm on hormones now, so I have the libido of a teenage boy, and I have the means of an adult. And that is an interesting combination. <laughs> um, I started using uh, hookup apps, um, and the main one that I used was Grindr. Um, before... Uh, and my sexuality is a difficult thing to explain. Um, I just like to tell people that I've played uh, LGBT bingo. So I've been a lesbian, I've been bi, I've been gay, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm trans. Um, because I feel, and it's like this constant feeling of like needing to fit into certain spaces. Um, and identifying in certain ways. Um, so beforehand, I thought that 
I was just into women. And then there's a point where I was like, I was on hormones and then my, and then it was like, I want to find people who are on the same um, hormonal level as me and that happened to be men. Um, I started using Grindr because it was easy. <laughs> it's like how to have sex in five minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, the only thing about it is like, yes, there's the, there's the easiness. Um, and yes, there is a certain safety in being online, so I can disclose that I'm trans right away. Um, and I can just get that part over with. Um, of course, the negative is, is that Grinder is... Grinder has the worst of the worst. Um, it tends... If you are a cis, white, able-bodied gay man, it's great for you. Um, if you're any other marginalized identity, it's not nearly as welcoming. Um, so my experience uh, with it has been uh, a lot of transphobia, and I think I've uh, actually gained a lot of wit, because I've used it for a couple years now, and I've just gotten so many, like, attacks on me. Um, people who, and I let people message me, I don't go after people, because I'm like, I'm not trying to confuse anyone. Um, if people, if people want to hook up with me, then then fine. Like, I like it when people just hook up like, with me like they would anyone else. It's just like, it can be a very simple thing. It's just like, hey, you're hot. Like, let's get together. <laughs> um, but when people start being like, hey, you're trans. Tell me your entire life history. Tell me about your traumas. Tell me about someone who you weren't really. Then it gets to a point where it's like people are entitled to emotional labor that I cannot perform. Uh, especially over and over again. Oh my goodness. Um, and they expect it. And when you refuse it, they get really angry. Um, and they try to tell you that by not disclosing that information, you're not doing any good for yourself or for trans people. And it's just like... Oh goodness. Um, it's, it's frustrating. So I just... Uh, I think like the block button is my best friend. Um, and then there will be the other people who are just malicious. Um, I've just, I've had people who have threatened violence, uh, with me. I've had people who had told me, like, um, I can't wait till Trump becomes president, so, like, Mike Pence will make you use the women's bathroom. And, and it's, it's more... It was, it's more of a hurtful thing coming from um, the gay community hmm. um, because that's a marginalized group. And yet, and yet, it's like people who are marginalized in certain ways will use the certain privileges that they have in order to retain a sense of power. And so that's what I discovered the, the hard way. Um, granted, there are a lot of cool people too. I'm not saying there aren't, but the majority of my experience on Grindr has been just ignoring people, blocking people, um, saying, no, that's like fetishizing, please don't. 
please don't say that there's the occasional like straight person who wanders on there even though they're not really straight because why are you on grinder if you're straight um and and so that's that's my experience on that um i've also um I've also dated, uh, uh, I've had some dates on Tinder as well. Um, that's where I tend to look for just queer people in general. And um, I've, had, I've had a couple of relationships. Um, one lasted for like six months and that was with a um, cis man. And um, and I thought that um, sometimes the difficulty in uh, for for me dating cis men is that um, I'll compare my body to theirs, and I can never win that fight. It's almost like a fight that I always lose because I'm not cis. Um, and it's really difficult to navigate queer spaces when there's still cis normativity. Mm. Um, so I'll say things like, I'm not, you know, tall enough, not, I'm like too small, my hands are too small. Um, and I'll kind of be too hard on myself, but not consciously. This is all done like just. Uh, just through comparison, uh, an unconscious comparison. It's just like you, you get a bad feeling. Like I got, I got like a bad feeling, and I couldn't quite say what it was. And it took me a lot of time to discover, like, oh, that's it. Like that's why I feel bad, because it's an insecurity that stems from society and expectations that I can't meet. And I've learned, and I'm trying to learn how to be better about that and how to um, improve. Um, but there were like other things about that relationship that weren't working. Um, one example being, um, the person who I was with, um, tended to only date trans men at, or trans masculine people. And I have questioned him about it before. Um, and he said that, um, that since he had multiple marginalizations that he would like to be with somebody else who had multiple marginalizations. That made sense to me. Um, it's just like a form of, it's a form of bonding, I think. Um, but the fact that he was only with trans men also, I think was a little bit of a, a warning sign. Um, Cause I think that it just kind of casts us as, as other. Um, like you're only into one specific type of body um, and it kind of, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of strange. Um, and, and he, we had, um, we had, a, we had an open relationship, um, because that, um, that's how I prefer my relationships to be because the way I see relationships and like cook up culture, uh, for me, it's like cooking up is like traveling and having a relationship is like being at home. So sometimes I like to travel to other places, but when I'm with someone I love, then I feel like I'm at home. Um, 
and I don't feel like they're mutually exclusive. Um, and so I like, and he could do whatever he wanted to, um, but whenever I started um, hooking up with people, I could never, um, I could never like talk to him about it because he would say that uh, that he would get jealous, um, which was very strange because I kept asking him do you want an open relationship? Is this what you want? And he just kept saying, yes, yes, yes. But it's kind of like he was saying two different things and it got really confusing. And in the meantime, he just kept hooking up with other people and that's like not fair to me. And I guess like what kind of struck me as strange is um, uh, last year, not this year's Trans Day Visibility, but last year, uh, Trans Day Visibility is just um, uh, it's an event that um, increases awareness about uh, trans people and trans rights. Um, and so there tend to be a lot of trans people there. Um, and so he went with me last year, um, but he wouldn't let me like hold his, we had just started, we had started dating like a month ago or maybe it was like half a month into it. Um, but he was like, I'm not gonna hold hands with you. We're not gonna have like any like, it was kind of like it was looking like we weren't even together because he said that that was his comfort level and at the time I took it to be that and I was like okay um but I learned uh this year that he um that he was saying that because he was telling everybody that that everybody meaning my uh, friends who were transmasculine that he was single and and so he's using that event to to cruise um for other transmasculine people and and he never told me about that um i had to find out from other people and it's kind of like that uh that's dehumanizing um you can like you can be with whoever you want to be with but when it gets to a point where you're not being honest with me even though we have an open relationship and when you're only targeting a specific group of people just because, and what feels like just because it's a group of people. Uh, it's, I feel like I don't even know what to say because that, because I'm not even given a voice anymore. I'm given an identity with certain scripts and I'm not an individual. I'm just part of a, I'm just a group. And like, I, I love being trans, but I don't want to be loved just for that. Um, on the upside, <laughs> uh, I'm in another relationship now, and um, the other uh, the other person is also trans, uh, trans feminine, and uh, they use the same pronouns as me, so we both use they pronouns. And um, being with another trans person feels kind of feels revolutionary. It's like we get to validate each other in each other's bodies and I don't have the same insecurities that I that I would with in my previous relationship and they're not like and I don't feel um I don't feel targeted I don't feel um I don't feel less than it's actually really nice um and I can just, I can make myself more, I can make myself vulnerable and I can be understood. Um, yeah, it kind of feels like 
when two trans people are in a relationship, it's just, it's revolutionary. How did you learn how to be a good partner? Ooh, what a question. Um, because a relationship is, a lot of it is about power. Uh, it's a power dynamic. Um, and, and I know from growing up what it's like to be controlled. And I knew that I could never do what was done to me. Um, so I feel like that's a big part of it. Um, another big part of it is, um, is being in therapy. Um, cause I've been seeing my therapist for over a year now and she's been really good and we kind of go over everything. Um, and so I'm made aware of things that maybe I wouldn't have realized. Um, I like having that, um, third person perspective. It's actually really nice. Um, knowing that it, it's a balance. Usually in relationships, I was always the person, I guess, who would, um, who would sacrifice. Um, so I'm starting to learn how to keep it more of an even ground, which is really, uh, which I think is really good. Um, and uh, realizing that, like, it's a, it's okay to be to be vulnerable. It's really hard to do that. I feel like as time goes on, it's harder and harder to get in relationships. But, but yeah, things like when I think when I think when I see vulnerability in people, I people I love, that's, that's how, like, I can, um, I guess I can trust, because it's, it's there, it's like when, when I see people, I'm so used to, I, I used to be with people who thought they were perfect, and, like, now that I'm, like, with people who, like, acknowledge that they're not, it's just, like, a relief. <laughs> Um, yeah, because we're taught the, um, we're taught the patterns, like we tend to, I'm just speaking on very general terms, but people tend to form relationships based on the relationships they had with their parents growing up. And since mine was always one of control, where I never had a voice, I had to unlearn that. And I'm still trying to unlearn that. Um, it makes something like hooking up really easy, <laughs> but something like having an actual relationship really hard. But sometimes you just swipe right on Tinder, <laughs> meet someone, and you have a lot in common with them, uh, and it works out really well. <laughs> like for me and people I guess like gosh what would make anyone good in a relationship I think it depends what you're looking for like if you're looking like 
for me, I'm not, I mean, I'm looking for someone I can connect to, someone who I have like things in common with, someone who makes me feel like my inner child is safe. Like people are so busy on like the physical characteristics and I'm just like, but who are you really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And it's like, and things like physical characteristics are really weird to me too, because like, apparently I'm hot. Like, <laughs> I didn't know this. No, I like, and that sounds stupid, but like, I grew up, because I grew up socialized female, um, and my, um, my older sister was conventionally beautiful. She was tan, blue eyes, um, she had uh, a larger chest, which guys in um, middle school and high school tell me about all the time. Like I, like I even had one. Okay, the one relationship I had in middle school, <laughs> uh, I was told like, "Oh, your, like your older sister is so hot. Like I want to bang her." And I'm like, while he was in a relationship with me, and it's like, "Oh, great!" Like, <laughs> um, so I grew up hating my because like where does that leave me I hated I hated everything about me that I had and I thought you know I thought maybe I was like horribly ugly or something I definitely wasn't the convention not at all I am now and it's really in some ways um being short doesn't help <laughs> And this goes back to gender, right? Because guys have to be tall. They have to take up space. And it's like, I can't do that. That's not me. I'm tiny. Like, I'm cute. Like... <laughs> um, but even uh, back when I was... Back before I transitioned, I wasn't um, conventionally... I didn't have, like, the conventional body. I even had... One of my exes tried to... Um, try to point out um that my that my breasts hadn't fully developed they still looked like they were pre-puberty and he gave me like a chart and everything and he didn't understand what was wrong with it um and whew, cis men um <laughs> um yeah so I mean, having like dysphoria in that area and then being told I also couldn't perform, it, it was just all sorts of confusing. I don't think I can even say how that feels because it's, in some ways, I took pride in it. I was like, this is good because I'm an athlete and I can perform better because of this. Not realizing that like it was like also affirming my gender, but then it was also like I was being pointed out to how I was different. Um, because um, growing up too, I also had um, my body just naturally produced more testosterone, which also doctors didn't like. So I've had a really rocky relationship with doctors because they tried to give me um, they try to give me birth control, which has estrogen in it. Um, and when they did that, I started getting migraines and they started getting bad. Like I couldn't move my eyeballs and uh, I was about to get a, I, well, the neurologist said I was going to get a stroke, so I had to go off them immediately. And even though my endocrinologist knew that, she still wanted me to try keep trying it. Um, 
And so I was like, nope. And I just stopped seeing her. And she kept threatening, like, cancer and stuff. And I was just like, I'm just going to be who I am. Like, I can't, like, I can't live the way, like, I can't live like that. Like, I couldn't even move my eyeballs. Um, it hurt too much. I didn't realize how many muscles were in there and how many nerves were in there until, until it happened. But, um, so that made things difficult. Um, and yeah, I feel like my body was kind of like, hey, we kind of want to be more masculine. Like, can you just like take it a little further? <laughs> like we tried. We tried, we gave you like a little bit of a head start. Cause I feel like I have um, transitioning. I think there are some things that I have a little bit of privilege over, which would be a more, a little bit of a more muscular body, which was also me doing athletics, but I was always masculine. I mean, I was always muscular, masculine, <laughs> muscular growing up. <laughs> uh, and I used to, gosh, it would freak people out when I flexed. And I love that, <laughs> I was just like, this is my body. I'm showing it off. Uh, oh gosh, I think I completely lost myself. Um, growing up, dating, um, bodies, bodies, um, and oh, that you're you're hot. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, I feel like that's how weird it is for me to acknowledge that I can't even remember what we were talking about because my mind's just like, go away. But no, uh, I want to address it because it's <sighs> apparently I'm really hot. Like people are just like, because I get a lot of like compliments on Grinder too, uh, from a lot of people, and I get compliments from people when I'm out, but not, but in a different way. Cause before I transitioned, it was a lot of, there was, there was cat calling, uh, and people would grab me too. And when I transitioned, people stopped doing that. And it's, so it's like, you get a certain safety in that. So it's like, people will find me attractive, but they won't violate me because they see, they see man and they respect that. Um, and that freaked me out when I first began transitioning because I felt like I had a safety cloak on that I didn't deserve. Um, now people are just, people will compliment me, but it's always in the appropriate settings. It's never like while I'm walking out at night. I think I had one woman say something to me once, but it was one of those things where you can just laugh it off because you know you're not in danger. Whereas before transitioning, I always felt like I was in danger. Um, and being like more uh, conventionally attractive in a masculine way is, is definitely more free than being conventionally attractive in a feminine way. Um, I mean, Masculinity is afforded a lot of space in sexuality. Um, it's a lot of, a lot of it's about pleasure and, and it's, I think it always just blows, blows me away. Like, I don't know, like, I want to celebrate my sexuality, but I don't want, like, I don't want it to be, 
I want to celebrate who I am as a trans person, but I don't want to celebrate, um, I don't want to celebrate the privilege of masculinity, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, I wish it were more equal footing. I wish, I, <laughs> yeah. Um, and people like treat me differently. Uh, so I think people get more nervous around me sometimes when they see like somebody who's more conventionally attractive. I feel like people are more quiet because I'm just saying things that I think I'm just like word vomiting at this point, but like, um, people, I just feel like I get different looks than I used to before. Part of it, male privilege, totally. I get, feel like people respect me more, but then I get the like quiet, like I'm checking you out sort of thing. And if people say how beautiful I am or if they act or I can see them like repressing certain things that they want to say and they're trying to like control themselves. Um, and it's, and I never really know how to respond when people try to compliment me because I like don't believe that. <laughs> um, um, so it's still something that I'm trying to find. It's still something I'm trying to find my way around. Um, I've, I mean, I only got this beard like six months ago. Like, it's pretty recent. I think the goatee helps. Uh, if I if I shave it, I look like I'm fourteen. Um, it's pretty bad. Um, when I first. <laughs> God. I used to be compared to Justin Bieber all the time. Um, I actually had somebody trap me in a store because they thought I was Justin Bieber's brother. And I had to like go out. I, I couldn't escape. I had to like actually go outside with them and meet their friend and like shake their hand and like <laughs> pretend <laughs> because they were so convinced and everybody was just like, oh my God, you're Justin Bieber. And I'm like, I would rather not be associated with this person. <laughs> Like, that's not me. It's not me. Um, like, I kind of want to be Simon. <laughs> uh, but I think that was also people's way of uh, figuring out why maybe I, like, looked more feminine. Mm. Yeah. Um, and also I get called, I mean, on the streets I get called faggot, like, a lot because I have a more feminine look and especially if I'm like I like I, I like wearing lipstick it's like so much fun but then like on the streets it's just like people will tell you like oh men don't wear lipstick like they'll tell me that on the street where I'll get harassed and it's like I don't feel safe right now like I can't like I want to look a certain way and I want to have a certain confidence and my I guess my ideal like aesthetic would be like facial hair and lipstick because it's, I don't know, it's bold, it's exciting, it's like in your face. Um, and, and, I, and it feels like both masculinity and femininity and it feels like they're in harmony for me. Um, because, and another thing about my transition was I never, like before I transitioned, could not do makeup, could not do lipstick, could not do any of that. Um, I had to find my masculinity before I could find my femininity. I had to establish 
one before I could establish the other. And so, and so I guess that's what helps me feel beautiful is when I can, when I can feel a little bit of each. One or the other doesn't do it for me. Hence my they pronouns. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like, back to like the, the hot thing, like being conventionally attractive, uh, it's way too easy to hook up with people. <laughs> it's like I don't even have to try. But then there are other things that I recognize that's like, uh, like yeah, it's with people who are open to trans people, but there's, there are whole other layers to it too. And I feel like I found this out through Grindr, like, uh, like, I think a big part of being conventionally attractive is, um, other than having, like, certain, like, features, I guess, like, more feminine facial features helps or whatever, but I think a big part of it is, um, having certain, having other privileges, um, so being able-bodied, um, uh, in a sense of how I look, um, because I don't, I don't look, uh, god i like hate i hate wording it this way but i'm like i don't look disabled um i don't whatever that means um i don't people um, perceive you as yeah like it's not something that you can that you can tell um when you look at me it's something that it's it's something well i guess it's an internal thing i'm sorry i'm rambling um and another thing is like being white because like in the Griner community like there's a lot of racism uh, there um, <laughs> people will want like they'll ask like specifically for like white people or they'll be like no and then put a certain race like I'm sure you've heard like no fats no femmes no Asians mm -hmm. um, and I just like don't understand. I like don't understand people. I'm like, why are you like, why? Um, it's just, and this goes back to like the, the gay community having certain marginalization. So they use whatever privileges that they do have to hold power over other people. I think that's what it comes down to, just power. Um, so a lot of, I mean, this is from white, this is from white gay men, um, it is where a lot of these racial comments get, get made. And sometimes they'll even have it on their profiles and then they'll message me and then I'll be like, nope, cause they're problematic. And I like, and like, I can't deal with that. Like it's. It's like a, I don't know, it's, I'm like, I guess this reminds me um, of one of my, one of my philosophy classes. So uh, I had a great philosophy professor in undergrad. Uh, he like, he had like an ADM class, so everybody was sleeping, but he was very, he was a very animated person. Um, and um, 
there were he did like he just did something i think that was trying to wake us up but we were talking about um we were talking i forgot exactly what we were talking about i'm not sure if it was john stuart mill um but we were talking he he was like all right everybody who has um a hat on gets an a and everybody who doesn't just like fails or doesn't get an a just based on that and he like looked at me and i was like oh god because this was back um in the beginning of my transition um in order to um stay safe i had i wasn't able to cut my hair but what i could do was that i could pin it up and i had i wore a beanie over it um and so for me, like, hats were, like, crucial because I, like, needed that in order to um, hide the fact that I had a lot of hair. So when he called, so when he said that, and when he said that, like, I, I immediately took my beanie off. I was just like, I, I can't. Like, you know, I can't. If, he, if you're saying that you're going to give an A to people who have hats on, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to be part of that. Like, I'm done. Like, I, like and it was kind of like the the um whatever else I may have been feeling like didn't really matter because it didn't put me on equal grounding as other people um because it's such an arbitrary thing it's completely unrelated like getting a good grade and wearing a hat and I, that's what I kind of feel like what it's like that's why it doesn't make sense to me why people have like certain they call it preferences I call it racism because where are preferences rooted? It's people like aren't questioning things. It's like saying the hat and then the grade and being like, well, it's just a preference. I just prefer to give like people wearing hats A's. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, yeah. Um, and so, Grinder has introduced me to a lot of things. It's introduced me to cis privilege, to white privilege, um, which I do, which I do have. So I had to realize, like, all right, where are my marginalizations? Where are my privileges? And what does this mean? What does that mean? Um, and I feel like Grinder kind of is like the ultimate test because it's like, because it is so hookup based like people just it really brings out like pe people are just honest <laughs> they're like they don't hold anything back um for better or worse i i don't know which one to be honest um but i've had like a lot of conversations and i feel like i've put in a lot of emotional effort i think i'm trying to use grinder less because it's getting too like it's getting too much of like i'm educating people <laughs> It's like a job now. <laughs> um, so I think like, yeah, I mean, cause there are like a lot of other apps. There are a lot of other like Facebook groups that are more open and accepting. Um, sorry if I like ramble on. <laughs> it's just so, people are like messed up. <laughs> I'm like, why? And I'm constantly, like, questioning myself, too. Like, how am I problematic? How can I change things? Um, sometimes I'm, like... 
sometimes I'm like activism is simply like existing as a trans person. Because um, when I went, I went to DC uh, for the trans march with one of my friends, and we had our trans flags on, and there were a lot of cis queers there, and they were like, "Nice flag, what's that?" And I was just like, "This is the trans flag, and you're in the LGBT community." I didn't chastise them. I was just like, "Oh yeah, you know, you learn something new every day." But then there was like one like. It was like a, I think it was like a white cis gay man. And he like went up to my friend and he's just like, nice flag, what country is that from? And I was just, I think we were just like, oh my God. Like I, I was thinking Transylvania, but you know. <laughs> and then there were like older, older cis white gay men who were looked at um, some of the signs that were talking about like Marsh P. Johnson. And they were like, who's that? And I'm like, you're older and like you don't know like about this history. And I like didn't like, I don't understand. Cause for me, I see Stonewall as something that was started by women of color, trans women of color. You have Sylvia Rivera, you have Marsha P. Johnson. Um, and then it turned into something that white cis gay men just kind of took over. And so when I see the erasure of trans women of color, it just, like even today, like I guess I thought people were more knowledgeable, but, or at least people who lived during that time would be more knowledgeable, but then they, they weren't. It's, and it's just like, it's always a shock to me. I'm just like, my heart, like, <laughs> um, because you need to, I mean, you can't just, <laughs> I'm like, where are the words? If someone starts a movement, you kind of need to give them the credit for it. <laughs> like, it's just a really basic thing. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, I mean, like, whitewashing is everywhere. And it's like, and seeing it go into the queer community as well is just absolutely heartbreaking. Absolutely. Um, so I think I just get mad and I just like yell at people. <laughs> um, I'm a little more cynical. No, I don't yell all the time. I think I have to like, I think I have to keep a certain like, uh, like I have to, stay certain like emotional I have to be emotionally detached because then if I'm too angry people won't take me seriously which is also different um like um because if like I'm just like arguing about race as a white person to somebody who's racist they'll just be like oh you're wrong but if I'm arguing about something like uh transness as a trans person to someone who is cis they'll be like Oh, and then they'll think like, I'm that angry trans person mm. or like, then they don't have to take me seriously. So I feel like when you're arguing about something that directly affects you as a marginalized person, you tend to not be taken as seriously as opposed to when you're in the more privileged group, um, which also doesn't make sense to me because I'm like, 
if somebody tells you that you hurt them, you don't get to say that you didn't. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I just, and the, that's, um, and I guess that kind of also came from my upbringing too, where I like, where I felt like I was being controlled and I felt like I was being hurt. But then like my parents would be like, no, like you're not, no, you're not. And then it's like, as a kid, you're just like, these are my parents. Like if they say I'm not hurt, then I'm not hurt. But then you still are. And it's really confusing. And it's like, what do you do? And it's so, so yeah, my understanding of the world comes from how I was brought up. And I feel like, I feel like my parents did the best that they could. Like, I don't want to be like, it's not all hate. It's about all like, I wish I never knew that. Like, it's, it's just, it's just there's a lot they didn't know. And instead of choosing to ask me, they, they chose to erase me. And I know what that feels like. And I can't do that to other people. Um, <laughs> great, now I'm like gonna tear up. Um, <laughs> that's not masculine. <laughs> um, that's actually one of the things on testosterone that hasn't, uh, like, testosterone hasn't impacted my ability to cry. And, um, and that's also interesting because, um, in like ancient Greece, for example, like, crying was seen as like, you have so much emotion that you're just outpouring and it seems like very masculine whereas like now it's like men can't cry and so whenever I cry like not just to my like to myself I can do it like I do all the time but in public there's that added layer of like of like I can't do this because I'm gonna like people are gonna like look down on me nobody's gonna be like oh are you okay they're gonna be like toughen up and it's like, I can't do that, that's not me. There are so many things about toxic masculinity. I'm just like, I can't do that, that's not me. I can't do that, that's not me. <laughs> um, like the way I got, the way I like kept my masculinity growing up was through sports. Um, I think there were like toxic ways I managed it too, which was by being immature, but I can't be too hard on myself, it was high school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I learned. Um, Um, but, but yeah, I see like, and one thing that I wish like, one thing that confuses me is when, um, other transmasculine people are toxic, when they're like misogynist, when they're trans misogynist, cause it, I'm just like, you actually had the socialization of somebody who was less privileged and yet you're going to do exactly that to people who have that similar less privileged who are seen that way and i don't i mean maybe it's a way of giving i mean i feel like this all comes back to power um and this is just how they're going to give themselves power even at the expense of denying what they had previous, might have, might have, I can't say for sure, but what they might have previously experienced. Even at the sense of deleting themselves and a piece of their lives, 
they they'll harm other they'll harm people but harming themselves is a way for them to gain power which makes no sense makes no sense <sighs> i feel like the I feel like I'm like the worst grad student because it's like the more I know, the more I don't know, and everything is just confusing. And I'm like, I'm sorry, like, uh, I'm sorry, like people confuse me. Like I can study psychoanalysis, but people confuse me. <laughs> I can study literature, but people confuse me. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I can try to, I can have that sort of like distance, theoretical distance, but, uh, but emotionally it's all just very confusing. And, and yeah, um, more time goes on, the more I just, I feel like the more my anxiety goes up because I just realize how much I don't know about because when you transition you're figuring out like at first at first I was like oh like I get it now like I know how like women and men work like I've been on both sides and then it's like as more time goes on it's like I don't know anything <laughs> gender is a lie <laughs> um and gender like was a lie to, so that people could uh, delegate certain forms of lab labor. Um, but I don't want to get I don't want to get theoretically distant. Um, <laughs> like, uh, I don't want to use too much theory. I already do that enough. I want to do uh, this is a lived experience. And that's just it. I can keep talking about theory. I can keep trying to come up with... I can keep citing other people. But... Uh, but they don't speak for me. <laughs> um, gosh, there's just so much to it. And there's just... There's... I think, like the younger generations of trans people it might have like a little bit a little bit of an easier time depending on how things go um yeah <laughs> uh but it seems like there's more awareness um which helps but i don't i don't i don't know all i know is that like as a whole uh, trans people are just like family. They're family members I love. They're family members I'd rather avoid. <laughs> but they're family. I... I guess it was really hard for me. Um, coming out as trans because it's like you lose so much. I lost... And when I talk about loss there's certain loss which is like I don't have any nerve endings in the left side of my tongue and I feel chronic pain there that's a loss uh, and then there's ambiguous loss which is 
none of my family members are dead, but they all feel like they're dead because I've been, I feel like I've been betrayed by them in one way or another. And I feel like I'm not able to have deep conversations with them and then I get blamed for it. So I feel like I had to have all these forms of loss and somehow I had to, somehow I had to go into a PhD program, which is already challenging enough in itself. Um, it's extremely demanding, um, which, which would be, which is like, which I like, cause like in undergrad, I, I was that student who took seven courses. <laughs> And I was on the track team, and I had a job, and I was applying for grad school. I could do all that. Um, but then once I started transitioning, and I started feeling loss and grief, it's kind of like my ability to perform started, it, it went away. And I wasn't able to do as many of the things as I used to, and I started blaming myself for it, and I started, like... I, I, I thought it's just because I was just, like, dumb or lazy. I, I kept telling myself I was lazy, which doesn't help. Um, but I think a lot of it's really just grieving. There's a lot of... Which is difficult, because academia is a very competitive field um, and it's like people can talk about a lot of theory but a lot of people haven't experienced a lot of the things that that I've experienced um, and so it's difficult to connect I feel like a lot of what I need in my life is connection. And people try to connect with theory. But then when they do that, it's it turns into the intellectual defense. It's really just a defense mechanism. Intellectual defense. Not not all theory. That's not what I'm saying, but I feel like when we talk about something like trans theory, for example, there are ways to educate, um, which are good, but then there are ways that it gets used so people feel like they know everything and they don't have to try to see the person for who they are. Or for what their struggles are. Um, and I'm trying to be lighter on myself. I'm trying to be like, I made it this far. It's just hard to see sometimes because I'm so hard on myself for not doing as much as I used to. And I suffer from a lot of anxiety because, I mean, everything that I've experienced with transition has happened just over the past few years and it's very overwhelming. It's a lot. And I don't think cis people realize how much it is. And I wish they knew. And I wish trans people were celebrated more. 
Um, yeah. I wish. I wish people were nicer. <laughs> it's like such a simple thing. I wish people just didn't assume. Um, I wish people, I wish people asked themselves questions in their head and how they would take it before asking trans people questions. Um, I get it, we're different, but we all, we, we function with similar uh, emotions. I feel like I'm gonna like go into that like Shylock speech, like if you prick us, do we not bleed? <laughs> but um, it just it always I just wish people uh, I just wish, I guess, yeah, no, I just wish people didn't assume things. Um, and I also feel like I'm too hard on myself, too. Um, and maybe I should be a little lighter. But that's why I'm in therapy, <laughs> to try to do that. Um, my therapist is awesome, because, like, psychoanalysis in itself, when we talk about it, I mean, a lot of it's, like, cis white men. <laughs> That's like the, that's the majority of theory. Um, and so, um, so some of the things that are difficult in therapy is navigating it as a trans person. And um, for my therapist, um, cause she's a person of color and so navigating that as well. <laughs> um, And it's like, and I feel like there are a lot of questions that we just don't have answers to because they just haven't been given yet. Will there be answers? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm not a psychoanalyst. It's not my field. I, I study a little bit, but it's not like my expertise. Um, but I'm glad that at least like a lot of uh, questions of identity and privilege um, are being brought to the forefront so at least we can have conversations like these. Um, not to, I mean, not to say that like that's the entire basis of therapy, but just that, but just that it's a part and it's there and you can't have the whole without the part. It's not that the part defines the whole. It's just that um, one of my, uh, I guess when I was coming out, one of my friends kind of put it uh, this way, that he's like, your identity is an ecosystem. And if one part of it, uh, if one part of it dies off, then so does the rest. I feel like I can talk forever. <laughs> it's a good quality.
because uh, I just like I get started and like I roll and I roll and you I keep roll. Keep rolling. It's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Um, but I guess the nice part about, at least about studying literature, is even with the sort of distance, um, I am starting to see how um, people are trying to connect uh, and how people deal with certain um, deal with certain marginalizations in their life. Um, I feel like that's, you know, literature is about the human experience and what what does it mean to be human? Uh, humanities. <laughs> Um, and at least like the, the nice part about theory is that now that, and what I get to do as a trans person, what's fun for me is, um, is the gender theory, is the queer theory, because it's, um, I'm trying to, well, I'm just trying to understand people throughout time and because people have different frameworks of knowledge based on when they lived, um, it's incredibly difficult. So all we can do is theorize, but at the same time, there's not nothing. There are a lot of things. There's always something new to find. Um, And that's just what I'm trying to trying to do, and and I like what I study because it's also like if anybody's like, oh, trans is this new thing. I'm just like, I mean, the term itself was invented in like the '50s by John Money, but um, but if you look at gender nonconformity, which is the term that I like to use because it's not an identity, but it's um, it's actions. Um, you can find that just about anywhere. Um, including, uh, including the 13th century. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that's why, um, that's why when you see like, uh, you see this, um, old French, um, this old French trying to figure out how to word it um i'm just gonna say uh, text um it which is uh, uh it's called silence uh the french title would just be le, le roman de silence um that's when you have uh a lot of conversation um around um around somebody who was assigned female at birth, was raised as male in order to inherit, and you have uh, nature and nurture in there acting as an allegorical dialectic. And so they're constantly, uh, they're constantly against each other. And when you see that kind of tension going on, um, and as, um, trying to figure out how to word it. Um, when you see that kind of tension going on in a 13th century text, and when you see somebody who's trying to navigate life like that, um, 
you feel a connection to that person because <laughs> I know what that's like. Um, the ending is much different than uh, than something that I could ever relate to, but that also that's also because it's a product of its time. And what do we mean when something's a product of its time? I feel like that's also a very uh, general statement. Um, but what I'm trying to get at is that um, there's a lot of uh, gender nonconformity, um, and when people talk about like the the gender binary and everything, and they just like assume um, there's a lot that people aren't um, there's a lot that people aren't open to. Um, I'm trying to remember this quote by Leslie Feinberg. <laughs> um, gender is the poetry that each of us is taught. Uh, gender is the poetry that, I'm sorry, I'm going to try to, I'm trying to like memorize. Gender is the poetry that, we're, that we write based on the words that we were taught. Mm. Yeah. And so it's, gender's poetic. It's not, I mean, I'm like, ooh, people think gender's science? Really, I think it's poetry. Um, or people equate gender to genitals, and I'm like, actually, gender's more like fingerprints. You want to attribute it to a body part? We're going to go with fingerprints because nobody has the same fingerprints. Nobody has the exact same gender. I'm sorry if that confuses you, but it's not simple and it's not meant to be simple. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like I don't know what to say now. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess I just always laugh when I see people who would like try to argue against trans people because it's like the same arguments every time and I'm like, I'm like been here, done that. <laughs> like, I love like the image of like, uh, trans people trying to explain gender to cis people, and you see like Plato, and, like, <laughs> and uh, and then you see like the, and then on the other side, it's like, are trans people explaining gender to trans people, talking about trans people, and then you see like the philosophers, and then you see trans people trying to explain gender to cis people, and you see the parent with the child, and the child has like this like tr toy truck or something. It's just like, it kind of feels like that. And I don't mean to infantilize cis people, but I just mean to say that it's just a level of understanding that maybe cis people haven't grown into yet. Maybe it'll be easier to understand with time. Um, maybe as there's more exposure. I don't know. I mean, at the same time, you look at like something like misogyny, which there are plenty of women around. <laughs> And that's still a thing. So, <laughs> so 
so what, what, what can you do? I mean, if the answer were simple, we wouldn't be here, right? Um, I think just try to, trying to relate to people and, and to know that it's okay to be imperfect and that, because um, I think everybody's like, we must all like, I think people stumble when they try to learn and I think it's okay to stumble um, as long as you're learning. Um, not to assume things, if, uh, just to, just to treat people the, treat people the way you want to be treated. Wow. <laughs> I feel like it always comes back to that. Um, <laughs> and I always get, sometimes I get scared too, because I'm like, what if there's like, because like this is where the discourse is at now, but it's like, what if like in the future there's like, like a group of people or some sort of topic that's like marginalized and we have no idea about it right now. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and sometimes that like scares me, but um, I try to just, so that's when I'm also like, all right, like I'm just gonna keep, I mean, I feel like the main formula is just to keep uh, letting people define themselves on their own terms um, and to, and to not assume anything and just don't be mean <laughs> it's kind of nice to watch people grow I like watching people grow on their own terms because it's like they just it's just beautiful to watch they become themselves I mean isn't that what life's about watching people grow that's all we can do like isn't that what we're supposed to do as people like we have a lot of differences and we have to we have to recognize them we have to recognize them and we have to try to understand each other and And I feel like if we kind of, I mean, it's the strength in numbers thing. If we all, if we could all just get along better, <laughs> uh, this feels like a lot more could be done. I feel like people perform better when they're, um, when they're seen. Mm. I like 
<laughs> I just remember this. It's like so random. Um, when I was like first coming out as trans and stuff, I went to uh, Janet Mock was giving a talk at Colgate University. Uh, and I went to go see her, and of course she just like looks like she's a goddess because she's Janet Mock. <laughs> and uh, and I remember her like talking, and then like at the end she was signing like autographs for her book and stuff, and I was just like, hey. And I was like, I read your, and she's like, during her talk, she was like, one thing that's weird to me is when people say that they've read their book in class. And of course, that's what I told her. I was just like, I read your book in class, like, it was really great. And then I was like, I'm studying, I'm going to be studying, like, literature and, and gender, like, nonconformity. And I think, and sometimes I'm afraid that, like, I scare people, because I think she's like, I'm like, no, like, I admire you, like, please, like, <laughs> um, but that was also kind of cool, because it was just, like, seeing someone, um, who celebrated for being herself, um, What else? And I feel like when I read her book, there were like a lot of things that applied to me, but in the reverse. Mm. So sometimes it's like the little details that get you. Like uh, when she was, uh, when she wrote about like uh, wanting to, to play the flute, because <laughs> that was what was seen as feminine. Like that's like exactly why I didn't want to play that in elementary school, because that was like feminine. And I wanted the I wanted to play saxophone because so I was like, yeah, that's masculine. <laughs> I I got afraid when um, when people said my name uh, because my name was in a they usually sing a Beatles song mm -hmm. because my name was in one of them, um, and I got afraid because I didn't know who they were talking to. Mm. Um, Yeah, I feel like as trans people, we just get so much misrecognition, even before transitioning. Um, and so when I say being seen, like, being seen, like, it's, it's a, there's so many layers to being seen. I mean, there's the obvious physical, then then there's something like a name, then there are things that are material, like clothing, then there are things that are psychic, like how you feel inside. How do you see someone is a very deep question. I think that's, I think that's the end of my ramble. <laughs> Thank you. Um, oh. You touched on a lot of really good stuff. Um, Give me as much material as you can. Uh, no, absolutely. As you want to have. No, absolutely. <laughs> um, 
touched on a lot of really great stuff. Um, a lot of things I had not even thought of. So thank you for that. Um, I could talk about this all day. I, yeah, no, it's good. It's good. I think I had a, I had a, a question that cycled back like a bit ago. But I was wondering, you talked about like vulnerability and like yeah. the idea of growth. And I was wondering if you could talk about, um, well, how do you encourage vulnerability in others and in yourself in this like really turbulent period of, I feel, like both American and like international history that we're both have been in for a bit and more recently feel like we are like rapidly spiraling down into. Well, when we look at power dynamics, they're the privileged people up top and the people with less privilege um, more at the bottom. And when you try to um, bring up people who are marginalized so that they're in an equal setting, the people who have privilege tend to get scared and so they'll, um, they'll heighten themselves more. And so that's why I think there's so much backlash because they're like, oh no, like people who are marginalized are starting to gain more equal footing, so we need to regain our power, and so we're going to be even worse. Um, and and I think like when we talk about vulnerability, a lot of it has to do with time, with place, and with audience. Um, so that's the time we're at right now is we're seeing the pushback. The, the place matters. I mean, obviously the conversations we have in New York City are going to be much different from conversations that people have um, in Texas where there's that bathroom bill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> conversations we have in America where there's the military ban is much different than Canada which kind of mocked us and I was like <laughs> um, but um, so you need to be it's hard to know when you can be vulnerable. Um, is there a good time to be vulnerable? Probably not, or, or else it wouldn't be called vulnerability. Um, the place tends to be more, um, I feel, uh, more in, in, usually more in like a one-on-one -on -one person setting, more intimate setting, or maybe like three people or something like that. It, it can really be with really be with anyone um, and it tends to be in a place that uh, that you trust more um, and with people audience well that goes for the people you trust more uh, there are ways to connect consciously to like test people to be like what do you think of this issue? What do you think of that issue? 
And then there are ways to connect, I think, with body language. There are ways to, and sometimes you just get a feeling and I feel like there's like an unconscious like connection. Um, and uh, I, uh, I feel like that happens in, um, in therapy a lot because when you're one-on-one -on -one with someone, you tend to figure out things that they never told you about. Like I've had friends who've like figured out the names of like their therapist parents, like not even trying to, they didn't look anything up. They just like, they just like had a, there's just like a, there's just one moment where they're just like, what do these names mean? The therapist was like, that's my parents. And it's like, wow. I mean, wow. <laughs> um, so there are, Um, speaking of connection, um, my mom does a thing where she likes to call me, um... If you need to pick up, you can. I can no. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I don't pick up. She, um... Oh, let me see if she warned me this time. This is all back to the power play that I was mm -hmm. talking about. Mm -hmm. Um... I wish she would just text me or be like, hey, can I call instead of just... Um, so going back to your um, tattoo thing um, that we discussed maybe bringing up, um, my mom recently found out that I have a tattoo uh, and um, because I usually try to cover it, it's on my chest, um, and I usually try to cover it. Um, but there was one day where my sister saw it and she said, nice tattoo, and then my mom heard. Um, my family's very like anti-tattoos. Like Growing up, they told me like that tattoos were for scumbags, uh, their words. Um, and here I am. <laughs> um, And where I'm trying to navigate now is um, she likes to ask me a lot of questions and I feel like navigating this is, it's different from navigating being trans, um, but there are certain similarities um, and I feel like, and she like where she keeps asking like did you get this did you get this and then what is it what is it what does it mean and i realized that with my transness i tried explaining it to her but she didn't listen so with my tattoo i decided not to explain to her what it was what it meant to me um and she asked why do you have to keep this secret for me because i just ended up not responding because i didn't know what to say and she wouldn't stop texting me and so she kept since she kept doing it i told her um i said you're asking a question you already know the answer to what do you have a tattoo um and i prefer to talk about other things um i'm not going to talk about what i don't feel comfortable to talk to you um, about 
and that actually um, that actually worked. Um, my my therapist would say um, that the relationship between my mom and me is very is um, from um, just from like a psychology standpoint um, is that of a narcissist and codependent. Um, and so the thing about um, narcissists in general, uh, this is a very general thing, is that they don't know boundaries. And so they keep asking and asking and asking and asking and all sorts of invasive questions. And so back when I was beginning to transition, I didn't know how to defend myself and how to set up those boundaries. And now with my tattoo, I know better. And that's why I'm like, I don't want to answer those questions. I want to talk about something else because I don't feel comfortable. It's not about keeping secrets. It's just, it's just not something that I want to talk about with you. Um, I don't talk about much of my life with her and I wish I could. I really do. It's not like I want to hide. She'll tell me, oh, if you want to hide, it means you're doing something wrong. And I, in the way that I think about it is like, no, like I'm hiding from you because who I am is wrong to you. Because I tried telling you, I've tried my whole life and you didn't want to listen. I wish you did. I would do anything, but I don't, I don't have the same relationship. I don't think as a lot of other people do to their mothers. Um, again, hence why I'm in therapy. Um, there's a really good book um, by Alice Miller, uh, The Drama of the Gifted Child. Mm. Um, I recommend it. Um, it has like some, I think like the end of it is really strange and not great, but like the first half of it is really good. Um, and like one of the metaphors used in it was one that um, like an anonymous patient had used. And it's like when you're growing up with with someone who's controlling, and I don't think you have to just apply this to a narcissistic parent, but to to anyone who's in a position of power, um, is that um, growing up, it, it's like I grew up in a glass house where my mother could see everything. And I had to bury my true self underground in order to protect it but the thing about burying it is that you can't see it yourself either and that's what it's like a lot of this has just been trying to figure out who I am what does it all mean <laughs> Um, and being okay with not knowing too is something that's very difficult, especially since I like to research. But, but that's why I keep listening to people. Because everybody has something to contribute to ways of to ways of knowing.
because I don't have all of the answers. I don't have most of the answers. I don't even think I have some of the answers. <laughs> uh, I think that I'm just trying to survive and I think I've learned a lot of important lessons that I can try to to try to tell other people and uh, that's about it I'm trying to dig up the true self so that I can see it because the house has changed it's no longer glass The thing that's really nice about my grad program is that um, is that I'm funded, um, so that I'm able to be financially independent because because um, I'm trying to not rely financially on my family. Um, a scary thought: when I was outed as trans, my mom wanted me to see a Christian therapist, and it had to be Christian. And so for me, that seems like conversion therapy. Mm. But I was going to grad school, so she couldn't force me to do that. And I couldn't even imagine what that would be like for the people who do have to go. Yeah. yeah. She, she's called me a murderer. She's told me I was going to die. If not today, then one day from testosterone. If I got angry, she would say it's because of the testosterone. She said a lot of really hurtful things, I think, without thinking about my autonomy. Being trans is a part of being who I really am. I think being trans highlights vulnerability. Because you're changing something that's very visible. I mean, your name, your pronouns, um, for people who do want to <laughs> change those, um, or people who want to change hormones or change appearance, a lot of it is, a lot of it is a, is a change. And it's hard enough for like us to like bear it ourselves. So when family can't bear it, well, all we can do is just keep moving forward. And and look for what we do have. I feel like a lot of a lot of my life over the past two years has just drastically changed just in terms of gender, in terms of um, I moved like five different times. I've had like, I haven't had a week where like I didn't have a place, like I was just crashing with my friends because I was trying to get away from an abusive person. I've had people turn on me, I've had, I've had a lot of things happen. I've had a lot of, uh, I've had violence against me. Um, I've had sexual violence. I've had, I've experienced a lot. And so a lot gets confused and it makes it really difficult 
to be vulnerable because it's like, well, that's where vulnerability got me. But I'm never going to stop because because I still believe in people. And some really great things have come out of it too. Some really great people have come out of it. Being trans highlighted a lot of problems I would have had with my family even without transitioning. But it really like brought it home that it wasn't okay for me to be vulnerable about who I was. And that's necessary for life to be vulnerable about who you are because you can't live without that. And so that's why I try to find other people who I can do that to and they can do that. Uh, they can do that uh, to me. Because that's like, that's all we have. Like, and it took me, uh, I tried to deny that for years. I was like, no, I don't. I don't have to be like this. I can take anything. <laughs> Part of me is like, all right, was that like a masculinity thing or is that like <laughs> uh, a vulnerable thing? Because masculinity is fragile. Um, and it might be a little bit of both. Maybe. A little bit of both. Yeah, and I'm very open with like talking about these things because if I weren't and if I just bottled them and nothing would be, nothing would, uh, nothing would change. Like, do I expect my parents to change? No, I do not. I expect me to change though. I'm still changing a lot and it's really scary and it's overwhelming especially with all the work that I have to do and sometimes I don't do as much as I should and I blame myself for it and I'm trying to tell myself like you just like you're just gonna make it like I don't know how you're going to make it through this program but there are some really cool people in it who are supportive of you and you just and that's how And you just have to trust that if they see something in you, that maybe there is something. I never thought of myself as smart. I always thought of myself as dumb growing up. So to be here is actually really... <laughs> strange. But here I am, and maybe with all the lessons I've learned over the years and with everything that's been thrown at me, maybe I have something to contribute. And I figure like once I teach and I have like students, I'll be able to like, I'll be able to teach them and like when it comes to time like a student needs like a mentor that I could actually like help them and help
help them believe in themselves and help them learn that where they that who they are is whoever they want to be where they come from doesn't dictate where they're going or maybe it does a little bit either way is fine I want to give what I was given in undergrad and and in grad I just want people to value themselves and that's why I want to teach because I want to teach people I want to give them knowledge I also come from a family of teachers, but they were high school teachers. Um, I'm teaching college, different level, but but I feel like it's a similar thing because it's really easy for there to be professors who are just detached from all of their students, and then it's like, what gets done? Like you're here for the students. So I want to be there. I want to be that cool professor. Hey. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Just someone students feel comfortable that they can talk to. And that they can ask questions and that they can engage in learning. Because if you're not there as yourself, then you're not there. I kind of learned that lesson myself. My, uh, my, when my older sister got married, um, there was a whole... Thing about me wearing a dress and I knew I couldn't like I just knew that if I did I'd just like die um, and I tried telling them that if I couldn't be there as me then I can't be there at all in the end I was able to wear what I wanted to wear but but when they had like Name placeholders, they had my like old name. Mm. I wasn't respected at all, I was just stared at. I was a spectacle. I know what it's like to be a spectacle and it sucks. All your family members just staring at you, wondering who you are. If they can even hold a conversation with you. You're more of a, a zoo than anything. And And I can't do that to other people. I was, yeah. Yeah, I knew I couldn't do that to other people. I'm trying to learn to have more like faith in myself because I grew up under these circumstances and I didn't turn out like them. It's kind of like from the start, I knew better and I don't know why. At this point, it's just repair and repair and repair and finding myself. It's a lot of repair, repair and creation, because this whole movement 
I mean, I think that's why I'm being so vulnerable. Timing is a thing. I mean, this is like we're in the middle of like some sort of movement where we weren't as visible before. We existed before, we just weren't as visible. And now we are. And so I thought, hey, why not add a perspective? Do you want to take a second? Sure. <laughs> Um, I guess, like, what would be really cool for me would be to know that, like, there's, like, some, some younger, like, person out there who's maybe questioning their gender identity or something, or they're trans and, like, they don't know, like, if they can do it, and then, like, they can hear someone like me who like made it but also have no idea how <laughs> I like I really don't know I feel like it's a struggle sometimes um, but but if they can at least hear that and know that it's possible that maybe they know that they can make it too um. What is one thing you would like someone to know about you in order to have the best chance of understanding you? What a question. <laughs> one thing. Um, just trying to do what anybody else is doing uh, exist but I'm trying to exist on my own terms and it's really difficult for me to do that but I'm trying What is one hope you have for the future? Um, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I hope... Oh, I don't 
want to say I'm hopeless. <laughs> I, I just, oh my God, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Um, <laughs> sorry. I'm going to say what, um, what my therapist tells me sometimes. Cause she's like, I don't believe in hope. And I remember, like, the first time she told me that, I was like, oh. She just, like, laughed, and she's like, I know. I, um, I don't think I have any hopes because I think that they would turn, I think because it places a certain investment into the future when I really just don't know how it's going to turn out. I feel like all I can do right now is, is, um, figure myself out better and connect to people. I feel like that's, that's all I can really do. Um, and what will happen in the future is what will happen in the future. Um... I, uh, I'm not, um, I'm not sure how it's going to go. I mean, again, we felt like we were gaining more rights, but then the whole presidency happened, (laughs) um, to put it lightly, um, I, uh, I don't know. I don't hope for anything in the future. Um, If I were to have a hope, it would be for a hope in the present. That, that people, that more people will come to realize that who they are is okay. And that, and that as trans people, that we are worthy of love, that we are worthy of respect, in that every horrible thing you feel about your body is not your fault, that was put upon you by society. And you have the right to exist exactly as you are. If there's something that you can change that you want to change, that's great. If there's something that you can't change, that's great too. Um, I used to just, I still do it, just uh, be really hard about myself and like my relation to like my body and and my place in life and uh, I can't change those things. Um, I mean, like, they're, like, place in life, like, yes, but, um, but I can't change where I was from. Um, and so...
and so it's okay to struggle. It's okay to struggle. Um, even if even if the celebration isn't there yet, um, it'll be there with support. Um, I hope that people realize that they're not alone, that there are others like them, and that we are all different, but we all have connections. Um, And that there's just, there's, <laughs> there's no wrong way to have a body. There's no wrong way. Because if there were a wrong way, it wouldn't exist. And here we are. Checkmate. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about, like, intolerant people. Because they're like, you don't exist. And I'm like, here I am. <laughs> like... Um, yeah, <laughs> you can't really, like, deny that. Um, yeah. that's, uh, and it's okay to be broken. I hope people realize that, too. It's okay to not know. okay to it's okay to be both it's okay to celebrate and to not know and to be broken it's okay to they're just nuances i mean we experience people in multitudes so why not experience ourselves in multitudes is there anything else you'd like to add um, well, for my trans family, <laughs> I, I love you. Um, and for, uh, for cis people, um, you can you can love us too i please do <laughs> um but on our own terms mm. yeah thank you so much thank you <laughs>